Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's a Monday on a Tuesday, sort of. I hope you had a great holiday weekend with Memorial Day, pools opening up, hopefully some warmer weather. Southern California is still experiencing this cold, wet ongoing coldness. I felt like I was in perpetual winter in the Midwest and we're still enjoying this lovely cool weather as I will put it on the optimistic side. You're listening to Trending with Tim Rate. Joining me in just a moment will be Abby Johnson. She's a former manager of Planned Parenthood in Texas and she had a massive conversion to the pro-life position after having witnessed an ultrasound guided abortion at the Planned Parenthood facility. She was running we're going to talk to her about what happens when lives are transformed by saying no to abortion and yes to life. Pretty incredible stories coming up with Abby Johnson here in just a moment. And if you are maybe working in some way related to the abortion issue and you want to step away from that, we'll talk about how that can be done. I know our Catholic faith is in direct contrast with the pro-abortion movement with the so-called procedure of abortion. And if you have any close proximity to that, I hope you'll stick with us. So we'll talk about ways for you to step away from that, even if you're concerned about finances as well. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I have spent the last five days, well, more than five days, but especially last five days over the holiday weekend, hearing from countless women what am I going to do without Target? Which I'm kind of getting a little bit of a chuckle because I quit on Target 10 years ago and they were bad news back then and it's only gotten worse. I'm so glad people's eyes are being open to this. But everyone keeps asking me, Timory, how do you survive without Target? I'll tell you one word. It's easy. I kind of thought that at first and then I realized I spend way less money. I buy things a little more on bulk. I'm more intentional with my buying. And guess what? Uh, things are way better without Target in your life. So I'll tell you what to do if maybe you're one of those people experiencing a little bit of a yes, silly existential crisis over what to do over the t- Target boycott, which by the way has been successful. I'll share with you a little bit about that and why and even a little bit of what's happening with uh, the LA Dodgers Again, I don't want to dive into it and even give that much attention to that whole story because of how nasty the group is that they're promoting during Pride Month next month. But I do have a thing or two to say about that. We're also taking your questions. The number is 1-888-914-9149. And I have been dying. I have not had time until today to talk about Khloe Kardashian. But did you catch the latest episode of the Kardashian season three? No, I didn't either. Good. I'm glad. I hope you didn't. If there's something that stood out and you watched it, sure, let me know. However, this is what a bombshell was in terms of the Kardashians. They had Khloe Kardashian talking to her sister, Kim, about surrogacy. Khloe, we all know the whole drama with Tristan. Last year, they end up welcoming a baby, lo and behold, in the late summer. And Khloe Kardashian's talking about how transactional the whole experience was on the latest new season of the Kardashians. How the birth mother, who was a hired surrogate, 
they took the baby away from the mom and walked into another room. And Chloe even commented that this was, was not about and for the baby. And she's coming out saying some interesting things. I think hopefully we'll wake up a better conversation surrounding surrogacy in, I think, the culture that we're facing. Because the reality is, is that women are hurting because of the pro-surrogacy pro in vitro fertilization culture we're living in when in reality the real wound is is the crisis of infertility and we should be working to solve that crisis and that challenge and not manipulate with technology how we have children because it's bad for mom it's bad for baby and it's bad for the woman who's been hired to be the surrogate so stay with me interesting words from chloe kardashian on that you're listening to trending with timory here on relevant radio joining me today on trending is abby johnson you i'm sure know her she's a former manager of a planned parenthood clinic in texas and she converted to the pro-life position after having witnessed an ultrasound guided abortion at the Planned Parenthood facility she was operating. And now today she's been sharing her story for about 15 years now, has had again an incredible conversion to the pro-life position, an advocate for women and children. She's written a handful of books, but her latest book just came out that she helped in editing, sharing the stories of men and women in their yes to life, their no to abortion, and really the transformation of what happens when you say no to abortion and yes to life. Abby, welcome back to Trending. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really enjoying your new book, Life to the Full. You edited this with Tyler Rowley uh, with our friends at Ignatius Press. And in your book, you chronicled a number of stories, one of which really stood out to me was one you had actually reached out to someone on Twitter who had shared his story publicly. Can you share with me a little bit about that story? Yeah, so um, Tyler actually reached out to this guy. Um, I wasn't really involved in this one, but... um, but yeah, it was a, a guy Tyler reached out to, and he uh, was sharing why he was so pro-life. And uh, when he was 22, he um, ended up getting a girl pregnant and um, had a, a one-night stand with a girl, and uh, she got pregnant. And uh, basically, you know, they were they were faced with a decision, um, you know, do we have an abortion? Do we um, parent this child? And, you know, he wasn't making a lot of money. So uh, he, he was, was making like you know, $8 work- an hour, right? Yeah, it was like <laughs> nine, nine bucks an hour or something, yeah. you know, it was just kind of like, what what are we going to do here? You know, living I don't make a lot of money. Parents, and- living with his yeah. parents, 22, and he, he wasn't really motivated to anything in life and has this one night stand. Right. And so, I mean, everybody in society would say to that situation, I mean, you know, pro-abortion people would say, oh, just have an abortion, right? Like, you're not ready. You're clearly not ready. This is a one-night stand. Um, you know, what's the big deal? Just don't have the baby. You're not ready. You're not even, you're not even, like, you're not even really connected to this person, right? It was just sex. And, um, but um they ended up deciding that they wanted to keep the baby and possibly get married. And that was about four or five months into uh, the pregnancy. And at that point, she hadn't even uh, told her parents yet. And she was, you know, starting to show a little bit. Um, but she was really nervous to to tell them, of course. Especially um, her dad, right? Yes, especially, yeah, especially her dad. And, uh, but anyway, uh, ended up 
ended up telling them and he didn't, you know, the dad was really thankful um, that they ended up, the boyfriend that he ended up coming to them. The boyfriend ended yeah, up telling the, the boyfriend dad. So it was really thankful. She was scared. Yes. And she ended up, you know, she was kind of mad. <laughs> the girl was mad, furious, actually, that he had called the father to, you know, really take responsibility. But he ends up going to dinner with the family and uh, it was it was a great situation. Um, they were really supportive. They did end up getting married. So this, you know, one night stand, they ended up just taking responsibility, got married. And what was really, really cool was that his parents ended up really uh, just taking this amazing offer of support, they they ended up buying them a house. Um, you know, he said it was a modest house and um, ended up deferring payments for the first couple of years of their marriage. And, you know, the baby was born and it completely changed their life. And I just think, you know, not all stories turn out that way, of course. Um, but, you know, he says a, a life is never a mistake. And, you know, I, I think that that was really the point of this book that we wanted to show that, yes, there are situations in life that are going to be hard, that are going to be tough, they're going to be challenges. You know, and this situation in particular, this was a, this was a, um, this was consequences of our, our own actions right consequences reminds, of our sin yeah, yeah. but yeah, it reminds me at of the end story. life was beautiful life right. was beautiful well you know i look at his story and you know i'm commend him for sharing it on twitter and you guys for writing it in the book the story because you know, here's this kind of guy living that low life perspective he's getting drunk every night mm -hmm. he's living with his parents but estranged from his parents pretty much severed relationship as he's living in their own basement he's making about eight mm -hmm. nine dollars an hour has a one night stand a big party and lo and behold a few months later she calls she's pregnant and the whole scenario you know he admits like i'm just in this low place and he happens to reach out to someone he knows who's a pastor and they get him into you know an opportunity for couples therapy and i just thought how great that thank god he contacted obviously someone who was pro-life who didn't immediately say Right. hey you guys have to get married you guys have to keep the baby like obviously they were encouraging that but they brought them into the fold saying well let's work on this let's look at you know you had this one night fling with this woman you knew from years ago what can come of it and it showed the example of going from i think what's very common in the culture of degeneracy especially among young men to where he said that baby literally literally changed my life that challenge of that child he rose to the occasion and look how far they've came even now having three children what an incredible story yeah it really is and and there's so many great stories like that in this book and um that was really you know the reason that that i really wanted to do this book tyler and i tyler and i started talking about it was um, because of one of the stories that's in here um, that's told by Ryan Tremblay is a story about his sister, Erica Shea. And I got to know Erica many, many years ago just through an email. She emailed me just one day out of the blue. She was a stranger to me. I did not know her. But she emailed me. She was pregnant and she had just gotten a really difficult cancer diagnosis. 
And, you know, all the doctors were telling her, if you want to save your life, you need to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And she was scared, of course. I mean, she was terrified. She was a very young woman and um, had not been married for that long. And she reached out to me just saying, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I ended up getting on the phone with her and we ended up having a conversation and you know, I just told her, Erica, I can't, I can't tell you what to do. I've never been in this situation, but I am a mother. And I know that I would sacrifice anything for my children, anything, including my life. I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, and I said, so I, I haven't been in your situation, but I just know that being a mother is that kind of love. And she, you know, we got off the phone, we prayed together, we got off the phone, she went to her husband and said, you know, I, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to have this baby. And she had her baby. And at the end of her pregnancy, she delivered a very healthy little girl. And um, after delivery, she did end up uh, dying from her cancer. Mm-hmm. But her family, they are so thankful that she chose life. And they're so mm-hmm. thankful that her life, that her memory continues to live on in the life of her daughter. Because, you know, at the end of the day, she could have had that treatment. She could have had an abortion. She could have died anyway. But now they have a piece of Erica living on. And, you know, our children are really the best parts of us. And Mm -hmm. now they have that best part of Erica. Well, and that baby and, knows for the rest of her life that my mom chose me, right? There isn't that wound right. of abandonment. My mom chose me and she goes into life, yes, with a wound that her mom was not able to raise her, but she chose her. And in that act of love, sacrificially, she lives with that love. Like that's the, you know, we talk about a lot about legacy in the culture, Abby. You know, talk about a positive legacy to help even in your absence to show that there was love for you from yeah, the moment right. Right, of your birth. And so I, I tell people, I'm like, she is our modern day St. Gianna Mola, right? Yes. Because she, in the face of adversity, in the face of fear, um, she chose life. And uh, it's just, it, you know, it's a really beautiful story. But, you know, people don't know the name Erica Shea. But I wanted people to know her name. I wanted people to know her story and her courage, her bravery. And I wanted people to know about, you know, her yes and so I thought, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories out there like hers that are never told. And I wanted to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what this book is. It's, you know, people that you've probably never heard of. You've never heard these names, um, but they have extraordinary stories to tell. And that mm-hmm. I think, Timory, is really what is, that's really what changes our culture. I mean, we can use facts and figures and all of that. And that, that matters to a lot of people. And I am a facts and figures type of gal. So I, I'm not downplaying that. I love that. But I think it really is stories. Mm -hmm. It's people's testimonies. That's what changes people's hearts. And that's what I love so much about this book is it's full of stories that, that really change the heart. 
And I know part of the premise of your book, Abby, was that a lot of the time these stories stay close within families and friends. And I probably wouldn't have even thought to share the story had we not been having this conversation. This is why you guys wrote this book, so that these stories go further out. My sister this weekend was on her way. You know, we were catching up with her. And I asked my mom, hey, have you heard from my sister? And she said, yeah, she, said she actually was on her way to the funeral. Said, oh, how sad. Uh, you know, kind of just this response of, okay, and she said, actually, the funeral was for a baby. Uh, her friend mm -hmm. was pregnant with twins and had been advised to abort one of the babies because the baby wasn't expected uh, to survive uh, outside of the womb for very long, if at all, likely might die in utero. And lo and behold, there was a st the baby's born, stillborn. And here this family is, here her friends are, my sister, you know, my nieces, everyone come together uh, for this funeral, for this baby, this celebration of an acknowledgement of this child. The parents did not accept the abortion. They honored that baby's life, even in the face of the sorrow that they would experience as parents. These are the kinds of stories, Abby, where people say no to abortion, yes to life, and they still get to celebrate and acknowledge life rather than face the trauma of what abortion brings. It's so radically different even when there's sorrow, whether it be post-abortion sorrow or the loss of a child naturally or sometimes the mother. And I think that, that the stark contrast is there, yet people sometimes aren't willing to embrace and recognize that, that there's pain in their way, but two radically different types of pain often. Yeah, you're completely, you're totally right. My husband and I were just talking about this the other day, actually. We have lost a child through miscarriage. It was, you know, fairly fairly early in the pregnancy. It was, um, it was our, thank you, it was our son's twin. Mm -hmm. And, um, and our son was born healthy. But we, you know, it was interesting because I was, we were talking about that. And so we, we understand the pain of, of miscarriage and, and how difficult that is. And, um, but then my husband and I were talking about it. And we were talking, we were reading, we had been reading a story about a, a woman who, you know, had, had chosen to abort uh, a pregnancy, her baby that um, had been given a, a, you know, a fatal diagnosis in the womb basically. And, um, and we were talking about it and I said, you know what? I don't, I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to, you know, lose a child, you know, relatively early in the, in the pregnancy and, um, I didn't know that was coming. We knew we were pregnant with twins and we were very excited to be pregnant with a second set of twins, you know, and, and so it was surprising when, when we lost Fulton's sister, um, we mm -hmm. didn't know that there was a problem and it was, you know, shocking and it was heartbreaking and it was sad. I can't imagine what it's like to carry a child knowing that my baby is going to die. Um, you know, as soon as my baby's born or, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to term, I, I can't imagine that sorrow, that sadness. Um, I haven't experienced that, but I really think a lot of women make the choice to abort because they think I'm not going to be able to handle the sadness. Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm going my to, yeah, like I'm going to let someone else take my child away from me because that's going to be easier than me holding my child as it dies. But I'm not sure that that's easier. Um, you know, I, I think that if they really understood the process of abortion, if they really understood the pain that their child will be in as they're killed, if they understood the disrespect for life 
that takes place during an abortion. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that, that that is something that they mm-hmm. would choose, but I think that they choose that not because they don't care about their baby, but I think they do it to protect themselves. I agree. Yeah. They think, I think they be, do it to protect their own heart. Right. Not just easier, but you know, even often why many women choose to have an abortion over a place or maybe for adoption because they think yes. it will be easier for them. And that's so sad that our culture says, choose this way out because that's what the culture says. Choose to you what seems to be your easier path forward. Uh, yet right. the pro-life position offers a different perspective. And well, we're talking about different perspectives, something else in your book, Abby. And by the way, if you're just joining me, that's Abby Johnson here on Trending with Timmy. We're talking about her new book that she edited with Tyler Rowley called Life to the Full. And in your book, you also chronicle the stories of some physicians who left having had performed abortions. I think of one story you share about Dr. Stephen Hammond having performed over 700 abortions, being trained at the hands of Planned Parenthood, yet he wanted to get into being an OBGYN because he wanted to help deliver babies. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. how far away from that he fell with the onset of Roe versus Wade and the sexual revolution. But it made me think of the work you're doing, Abby, with your organization, And Then There Were None, how you are helping reach into the radical pro-abortion movement, the medical community, where often, Abby, so many people find themselves, and I've talked face-to-face with these women, you help pull them out, where many women, men too, but are often involved in one way or another as nurses, as so-called doctors performing abortions, or even as supporting staff, or maybe even if facilities that on occasion perform abortions, yet they know deep down inside it's not wrong. They maybe try to disassociate from that involvement in abortion. Can you speak to what your organization is doing to help bring people out in the transformation you're seeing? Yeah, so Dr. Hammond, is he's just such a beautiful man. He is part of our organization, and then there were none. Um, you know, he is one of those stories. He was a man that was performing abortions and, and now, you know, through, through the grace of God has, has been healed of that. Um, he has delivered just thousands and thousands of babies now and, um, just has an amazing story of redemption. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, we are trying to pull people, um, away from death. I mean, just death. And destruction every day. That's what they're dealing with every day. And even if they're not, even if they're not participating in abortion every day, they're still in that culture, right? They're still inside of that culture. Um, even if they're inside of of a Planned Parenthood referral clinic. So even if they're not in a clinic that's actually, you know, committing abortions every day, it's still that abortion culture that's mm-hmm. all around them and it seeps into everything that they're doing. They're still referring for abortions. Their paychecks are still coming from, you know, the blood of these innocent children. Um, and we need to get them away from that evil. And many of them, they don't want to be in that. They don't want to be working in that, mm-hmm. but they feel like they don't have another way out. Look, we talk all the time in the pro-life movement about the predatory nature of the abortion industry and how they prey upon the vulnerable when it comes to performing abortions. What we don't talk enough about is the predatory nature when it comes to their employment practices. And they Mm. are incredibly predatory. They are looking for those single moms. They're looking for those vulnerable women. They're looking for minorities who are living in impoverished communities. They're looking for women who usually couldn't make more than 10 or $11 an hour. Now they're going to put them in a receptionist position and pay them $20, $21 an hour. 
-hmm. that they are a predatory organization and they're preying on the most vulnerable. They're preying on the weak. They're preying on the impoverished. They're preying on the minority community and they're doing it you know, in multiple facets, not just those that are patients, but also those that are employees. And so we're trying to pull them out of that. And and I have to tell you, unfortunately, Timory, um, the majority of, of people who do come to us do come to us with a faith foundation. Right. And yep. if they do come to us with a faith foundation, I'm sorry to say that the majority of them were baptized Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so our goal with those who were raised in the Catholic faith are to get them back into the sacraments. You know, first we want to get them into confession and, you know, we want to get them, uh, we want to get them to the Eucharist. We want to get them to Jesus. And it, it, that in itself, as you know, is life changing. And we have had so many, uh, it's interesting. One of the other therapists in our organization is uh, I'm a therapist, the, one of the other therapists is Protestant, and we took one of our former workers who was on a retreat, she really wanted to go to confession, and so we made a private appointment with, with my priest to take her. And it was so funny because our Protestant therapist, she said, oh my gosh, when she walked out of confession, she literally looked like a different mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. She said her face was a different color, mm-hmm. her demeanor, the way she walked, she was completely different. And I said, mm-hmm. of course. I said, she no longer is carrying that sin. It's she's completely free of it. And then that next day we were able to take her to Jesus and she was able to receive the Eucharist for the first time in 15 years. Praise God. And that, I mean, that is the power of conversion. And that's what we're doing. We're pulling people off the road to hell. I mean, literal mm-hmm. hell. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're putting them back into the arms of Christ. If you're involved anywhere in abortion, you don't have to just be a doctor or a nurse, perhaps, as you mentioned, Abby, a receptionist, someone playing a supporting role where abortions are being performed. I highly encourage you to reach out for help. Abby's organization is abortionworker.com. The website is abortionworker.com. And Abby, can you briefly mention some of the resources you offer uh, to help bring people out of the abortion movement? Because many people are concerned about finances and career trajectory, I hear. Sure. Yeah. So um, we provide transitional help, financial help for those who are wanting to leave the industry. You know, once someone decides I've got to get out of here, we don't want them to say, well, I've got to get out of here, but I've got to wait until I get another job. No. Scripture says when you are confronted with evil, then you flee from that evil. You don't cooperate with it. So, um, so yeah, so that's what we want to do. Um, and so we help them with transitional financial assistance. We have job coaches on staff with us. They help with resume writing. They will completely redo a resume for them. They will create it from scratch. They have literally created resumes that were written on napkins. So they are amazing. <laughs> we have job coaches that help them find employment, um, that help them you know, with anything they need, even coaching like interview skills, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, we have professional counselors, um, licensed uh, Christian counselors on staff, like I said, that help them, you know, with the healing. Uh, we want to get them connected in a church community, in a local church community. So we walk with them through that. Um, we have scholarships available as well. We have an endowment fund, very large endowment fund that was set up for us, um, a memorial fund. And that is to help these men and women who maybe they want to get a better job, but they don't have the funds to do so and we can actually pay for them to go to school and to get those skills. 
That's Abby Johnson. If you're involved in any way in the abortion procedure, a supporting staff role, check out abortionworker.com. You can leave the abortion industry. You don't have to stay there, and your family uh, will be blessed for having stepped away. So abortionworker.com, if you or someone you know is involved, check out Abby's new book, Life to the Full. We'll post the link on social media. And if you've experienced an abortion, please look at this resource, supportafterabortion.com for healing. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. I've been asked at least 10 times over the last five days by young moms, Timory, where do I shop if I don't go to Target? And I start laughing. I said, Come on, the Target boycott's nothing new. We should have been doing this years ago. I haven't shopped at Target for 10 years. I'll give a caveat to that and I'll explain why. But I'll talk to you about what you can do if you're trying to replace Target. It should be simple for us, but I think sometimes we get so locked in our way. So I'll talk about that in just a minute here. I know some people are saying, please don't. I don't want to shop at Walmart. I understand. I'm just not a Walmart girl. I do. I have my biases. And actually, Walmart's doing something about this whole boycott. I'll share it with you in a minute. It's really interesting to see how Walmart's getting ahead of this. So stay with me. But first, let's talk for a moment about the Dodgers and then Khloe Kardashian. If you watch the Kardashians, I don't. But season three premiere came out last week, and she is talking about how dissatisfied she is with the lack of transparency surrounding surrogacy. So stay with me here. So Dodgers and Target. Let's talk about Dodgers for just a moment here. The Dodgers, their brand of what they're trying to push, it's disgusting. The fact that every baseball team across the nation, pretty much that I'm aware of, is celebrating some form of a pride night. But the Dodgers, as everyone's making a big deal, if you don't understand or get what's going on, they are having this honorary celebration on June 16th of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I don't want to give any more attention to this group. It's sick. It's disgusting. The Dodgers canceled them, and then they received backlash from the very small pro-LGBTQ community and the very influential media networks across the nation. And so they doubled down, apologized, and they're giving special honor to this cross-dressing, transgender, drag queen, sexually explicit group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. It is a mockery of Catholicism. It's scandalous. It's sexually explicit, and can I be really blunt for a moment? It's physically harmful behavior to promote to both adults and children, and it's grooming children. And yet, this is a baseball stadium. How is this okay? I'm talking to parents all the time. I was at a dinner last night, and all the moms were talking about how they're trying to navigate where they do and don't take their children now because of what they don't want their kids to be exposed to on a daily basis, and how if on occasion they're exposed to something, they want to be able to help mitigate it, but what if they don't see what's happening all around them? One woman was sharing with me her story when she first saw two two guys making out in front of her and how that's literally like ingrained in her mind and was so scandalous to her, and just the whole thing and how kids don't always understand these scenarios and how this isn't just outright mockery of the Catholic faith, but it's harmful to children. It's harmful behavior and it's scandalous. And that's why I hope people do stick with this Dodgers boycott and continue to give their feedback to to Dodgers. We're going to come back talking about Target. So, okay, Target, if you don't know what happened, I think most people do. Target 
for years. When I say for years, for years has sold chest binders for minors that compresses the chest, which leads to the cracking of the ribs and the damage of the body. They've sold, sold tucking um, undergarments and swimsuits for a long time. You, you get it. If someone's trying to pretend to be a woman, but is really biologically a male and hasn't had any sort of bodily mutilation hacking away of their body, that's what Target has done for years. They've been doing Father's Day ads for years that were two men, two, quote, dads. And all of this is bad news. It's not reality. It's a make-believe reality. If you go to the men's section for years in Target, they have a whole section that's pro-transgender and pride. They've also, for years, had kid stuff that was in favor of pride. But what happened that I think sparked the awareness of some people over the last handful of weeks was they released a new line in ahead of Pride Month celebrating pride the line is created by a woman who is a Satan worshiper and she identifies as a man. And there is additional clothing and content for babies and kids. Okay, so there's nothing new here. I think people are just a little more aware of it. Target has received a massive backlash. Uh, people objecting to this. I mean, even just what's happened it, throughout the country, people calling it out, the display being moved to the back of the store. Finally, Target decides to discontinue this line, which is a good thing, but they still have other pro-LGBTQ content they have for years. The bottom line is, is that Target has funded millions of dollars into pro-LGBTQ entities. One of them, which, by the way, if you've ever shopped at Target, they mention it. They list these organizations just front and center at Target. One of them has been Glisten, who I've been talking about for years here on the show. For 10 years, we've known this. I mentioned this many years ago, not long after I launched this show many years ago, back in 2015, that Glisten is one of the organizations that Target supports. Now, this is all coming to the forefront again 10 years later, but they've actually funded millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to Glisten, which is an organization that pushes for very clear things. They want to, one, bring sexually explicit LGBTQ content to schools for kids. They do it for free. Glisten pushes that LGBTQ ideology is in all subjects, including math. So they push for uh, pro-LGBTQ graphs showing things about the movement, and they push for word problems that have they, them, uh, gender-neutral language, right? They even have guidelines that they project onto a school. This isn't a requirement, but that Glisten projects onto a school saying that a child's identity uh, cannot be disclosed to anyone, not even parents, unless the child agrees to this. Okay, let's be clear here for a second. The public school system is in partnership in bed with Glisten, which is a grooming organization that sexualizes children and has a policy that you're not supposed to tell a parent if the kid identifies as transgender. Now, we're not just talking about eighth graders, we're not talking about 15-year-olds. That includes young children. Remember, the public school system also has pre-K and TK, whatever that is. It seems like they've found a way to put kids into school even earlier. Uh, but we're talking about essentially as young as three years old that Glisten is actually sending and pushing for explicit content for kids for three-year-olds without parental approval, notification, and manipulation behind the scenes, ushering them into 
therapy. It's unbelievable. But here's what happened. Target over the last week saw a market value drop of $9 billion over this boycott. This is the reality that when people actually say no, it makes an influence. Now, don't go back to Target just because they dropped the kids line by the Satan worshiper. They're trying to do something for optics. It shouldn't work. It won't work. It's not enough. But I'm really proud of a lot of people who are saying we're not shopping there anymore. And even when you say it deeply pains you, (laughs) I remember I was a little bummed when I had to stop shopping at Target because Target has been historically one of those places that's kind of one of those happy stores for some people because there are so many nice things. It's not a happy store for your wallet. The prices are not competitive. They haven't been for years. And that's the bottom line. So when people say, well, where do you get your groceries? Never at Target. Where do you get your clothes? You don't have to go to Target. Things are much more affordable other places. And so I'm hearing from a lot of women, how do I live without Target? Okay, number one, when I stopped shopping at Target about 10 years ago, I simply started spending less money. Just just a clue if you need to be a little bit better with your budget. Number two, I started buying a little more bulk online. So I started identifying the brands I liked. I maybe would go directly to the website and maybe buy in bulk just a little bit. Uh, You can also shop at your grocery store for common items, but a lot of the items we buy at Target are excessive and superfluous. You know, maybe you say, hey, I need Q-tips. You can buy those somewhere else. Maybe you need clothes. Maybe you need groceries. Maybe you need diapers. There are a lot of other places you can buy it for much less. And even if you want in bulk, and you can even do it online. Because I'm hearing from a lot of moms who say, I love Target. I've got the Target app. I place my order and I just pick it up. I don't even have to go in because it's hard with kids. I get that. I, I still try to go to the store or just go with my husband, but I get making things a little easier. But I promise you, when we don't live a life based on convenience overload, we actually spend less and sometimes do less, which is a good thing. And so if you're looking, I did see an article online that said, if you're no longer buying clothes at Target, here are some places where you can shop for clothes. I'll post a link to that on social media because I know it is helpful for the Target junkies out there who I'm so proud of you are trying to make a change because this is your line in the sand. It's too much. And if, again, you're trying to be creative, I make a lot of my own cosmetics. I make my own face oil and it's a lot more cost effective than, again, just going to Target for many things. So those are just, I think, some thoughts. You spend less, you can simplify and shop online going directly to the sources. Again, I'm posting a link on social media if you're feeling an existential crisis over the clothes that you wear no longer being bought at Target. But here's the deal. We have to draw a line in the sand somewhere, and it might be a small thing to you to stop shopping at Target, or it might be a big thing to you to stop shopping at Target. But when we make decisions like these, I think it helps us when the bigger decisions are more challenging because we've been forming this habit of saying, no, this is wrong, and I'm no longer going to justify the sexualization, the scandalization of young children that Target and these other companies like Dodgers are involved in. And that's up to you. That's your choice. And I think this is a choice where we can have an opinion and do something about it. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Okay, I had a question come in that I want to talk about. Uh, uh, difficult topic. I received an email from Catherine. She says she's struggling in her marriage, difficulty with pleasure and intimacy. She said, I'm hoping you can provide some suggestions here. She said, I've been married nine years. We have two kids and another one's due in July. Congratulations. Uh, she, here's the PG version. She said, I'm still very attracted to my husband, but 
I struggle with experiencing pleasure during marital intimacy, which I've read most women actually do. This leads to occasional use of objects during intimacy. Should I be avoiding using these objects during intimacy? I appreciate any suggestions. Okay, I think modesty often prevents us from having real conversations about the reality that a lot of women struggle with fear and anxiety surrounding intimacy or also the experience of pleasure. So I know it's an uncomfortable topic, but it's, I think, a common challenge and something we need to talk about a little bit more. A few things I think we need to address. Number one, use of any toys or objects uh, for intimate pleasure, whether together or separately, are not acceptable. Use of these uh, objects are a form of masturbation. Bottom line, whether together or individually, external objects can cause dysfunction even within the complementarity of a husband and wife, and it can disrupt satisfaction achieved between the spouses when you're going to other things to achieve that. It disrupts the fullness of pleasure and mutual self-gift that God designed for sexual complementarity. Now, if there's some disruption, you feel like you need to bring something in, that actually highlights a more important thing that could cover a number of areas, but one being the importance of communication. Pope St. John Paul II actually wrote a little bit about this, and he talked about, like many Catholic and faithful therapists have said, the importance of couples slowing down in intimacy and having mutual communication during intimacy to achieve mutual pleasure, and that we don't have to go outside of the bounds of the gift as God ordained it of sexual intimacy. So I do want to discourage a sex therapist for a really obvious reason that we should all know, because they're eroticized. There's no such thing as a Catholic sex therapist. However, a little extra support, I recommend a Catholic-based program called My Delight. It's for Catholic women who are struggling just like this. Uh, We'll post a link on social media to that program, My Delight, for experiencing and enjoying intimacy. And also there's a book that's very helpful as well called Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women that Focus on the Family really encourages. But I highly encourage taking this all to confession without using details because that would scandalize your priest. But take it to confession and be liberated from that and try to dive into some of these resources for the betterment of your marriage. I'll be right back here on Trending. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. A fertility crisis is on the rise. I get it. Struggling to have a baby or decide years later you want to have a child and you can't, and it's seemingly too late. Many people are turning to third-party reproductive technology, including people who just don't want to carry a baby on their own, someone such as Khloe Kardashian. Now, if you watched the premiere last last week of the third season of The Kardashians, I didn't, but news broke that Khloe Kardashian ended up spilling in a conversation with Kim Kardashian, her sister, about the guilt and difficulty over bonding with a new son after using a surrogate. That keyword, using a surrogate. I want you to listen to this. I do think that there is a difference when the baby is in your belly. The baby actually feels your real heart. Think about it. It like touches your organ. Like it's 
feel there's no one else on this planet that will feel you from the inside like that, like your heart, you know? <laughs> I got so many good jokes. People can connect in different ways. People so could not connect. Do you feel less connected? Mm-hmm. That'll take a minute. Yeah, people say it'll I take mean, a minute. I mean, listen, but Kim the other was said 10 hers, months of hers walking was around. Like, easy. This is not easy. I definitely, like, buried my head in the sand during that pregnancy that I didn't digest what was happening. And so I think when I went to the hospital, I really think that was the first time that really registered. And it has nothing to do with the baby. It's just, you're like, okay, we're having a baby, and this is my son, and I'm taking him home with me. I definitely was in a state of shock, I think, from my entire experience in general. Go, 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 go. Don't stop, don't stop. I felt really guilty that, like, this woman just had a, my baby, and you're just, I take the baby, and then I go to another room, and you're sort of separated. Like, I felt it's such a transactional experience, because it's not about him. I wish someone was honest about surrogacy. Lee Kardashian talking about how she wishes people more honest about what happens with surrogacy. Her story right here is heartbreaking because what she just chronicled is the experience of the woman who carried the baby, the surrogate, the child, and the intended mom. The woman who ends up childless, used, yes, sure, compensated, but often who experiences postpartum depression because she's left without a baby. Then there's a child who's denied a relationship with, bonding, and nursing with the woman who carried him for not nearly nine months. Then you have the intended mom who shows up in a transactional type experience to remove this baby, in this case, this little boy who was born in July from the woman who carried him to be placed in the arms of the intended woman that is Khloe Kardashian. She said, I take the baby into another room. She leaves the woman who just birthed her child, removes him. She said this had nothing to do with the baby. She said it was not about him. What she's saying here is that this wasn't for him. This wasn't good for him. This wasn't about a child-centered focus, even a medically-centered focus, where a child, the best thing that could be done for a baby is a baby be laid on mama's chest and have the ability to just breathe and bond with the mama who he just came out of her body. And often babies have breathing issues and heart rate issues because they're suddenly separated from the center of the, their whole universe who has been their mother who has been carrying them that's why at the beginning of the clip when kim kardashian is talking about how you know, your baby's close to your heart the baby is in literally you know in my words your body is one with you is not your body but is one with you being held carried and nourished that is a crisis for that baby and again, Khloe Kardashian said, I wish people were more honest about this. This was transactional. It wasn't good for him. She's acknowledging it wasn't good for the mom who she just ripped that baby from. And she acknowledges it hasn't been good for her. Ten months later, and she is still struggling with bonding with this baby. The truth of the matter is this. Number one, surrogacy and in vitro fertilization more often than not include abortion. Number two, a biological male and female are how 
a new life is meant to be brought into the world through the gift of intimacy, the loving act of a husband and wife, that a child should have a right to their biological mother and father to carry them, to nurture them, to raise them. And surrogacy and IVF removes very far from that reality, the biological mother and father, including donors and surrogates and all these other individuals. This isn't good for the woman carrying the baby, the surrogate. This isn't good for the parents trying to bond with the baby. And this isn't good for the child who we are denying their biological mother and father or their donor mother and father. It's a mess and children are really struggling. And so that's why when Chloe and others speak up about this, we need to listen. She said, people are not being honest. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I hope you'll share Chloe's story about the reality of surrogacy, the impact, the damage, and that there are solutions. We'll talk about them all the time here on Trending, but I'm going to post a link. If you or someone you know is struggling with fertility or infertility, uh, we'll post a link to some great NAPRO doctors and a link to episodes on how to get pregnant and other solutions outside of the damaging medically, spiritually, and psychological use of IVF and surrogacy. I do want to share an incredible story. Carlos is on the line from Texas. Carlos, I would love to hear your story. Welcome to Trending. Hello. Uh, thank you very much. Just real quick, I know that it's at the end of the show, but um, my, myself and my sister, we were both given up for adoption uh, um, in the 59 and, and 61 and uh, and we found our we found each other about four years ago doing mm. DNA testing. Then together we found our biological mother, who was uh, sent away from South Texas all the way to the north part of Texas, the Panhandle, nine hundred miles away. Uh, after she had me, and uh, we got to go see her and tell her thank you for giving us life, the gift of life, and for loving us for nine months. And I just want, since you were talking with Abby Johnson, I just wanted to throw that in that, you know, um, it's a pro-life story. I became a teacher for 29 years, and I, I, I was with a lot of children. I, I sing. I'm a singer. I, I entertain winter Texans down in the valley. And uh, and my sister, she, she uh, grew up in a very loving family. Both of us did, uh, about 90 miles away from each other. And... Uh, we didn't know each other until, like I said, four years ago, and we met, we got to four years ago, <clears throat> we found our birth mother, and the thing is that uh, uh, we got to meet her, we met our half-brothers, it's been a very beautiful uh, story of, of acceptance, and uh, she was so happy to meet us, and the thing is that she's just had a stroke uh, a couple of days mm -hmm. ago, and, and we don't know if she's going to make it through, and I just thought it would be nice to share that story because she had such a beautiful life. Yes, Carlos, thank you for sharing your story and honoring your mom. We'll, we'll pray for you. I know you've got a warrior, prayer warriors behind you right now praying for you and your mom. And how wonderful you share being able to thank your mom for her choice of giving you life. And I just can't help but keep thinking about how different, different this is from surrogacy and IVF and choosing abortion, even just surrogacy and IVF today, how that's where we intentionally create children to deny them their biological parents or uh, their donor parents or their uh, carriers, as some people call it, versus adoption is that gift of saying, I can't mother you, but I'm going to honor you, choose you, give birth to you, and place you in the best possible circumstance possible and bring others into fill 
fill the void when I can't fill that void, which is so different between surrogacy and adoption. I think that's an important distinction. So I really appreciate your story, Carlos. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Wednesday on Trending, I'll be joined by a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're going to address the recent bombshell that there's a blueprint for how children are intentionally being objectified and made into sexual objects. We'll also talk about how there's a blueprint for toddlers, two and three-year-olds, like the age of my daughter, many of yours, to become transgender. So join me Wednesday as we address this from a therapeutic perspective and our faith.